views in this do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, Student Media, or NCSU. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Good afternoon, Raleigh, and welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle. It's November 9th, and the time is 4.04, and on behalf of the team here at WKNC, I would like to thank you for tuning in. I am Nick Weaver. And I'm Marissa Jordan. We've got a great show for you guys today. We're re-airing some of our favorite pieces of 2016. Jake Winters brings you Snowverated. This week, he reviews the film The Past. Nick brings you his Modest Mouth Review. This week, he reviews the album Super Low by Warehouse. Brooke Yenian brings you Arts Afternoons. This week, she interviews Zachary Lund. Yep, and Will Mayo brings you Taste of the Triangle. Yep, we are replaying his episode where he reviews uh, David's Dumpling and Noodle Bar. And uh, not at all, because we didn't have any content for this week. Goodness knows, there's no shortage of news. I mean, I love love, uh, David's Dumplings and Noodle Bar. Well, who doesn't? (laughs) David's Dumplings and Noodle Bar is, is a cornerstone of Raleigh culture. But first, Colleen Kinnon-Ferguson brings you legal work. This week, she takes a look at the landlord-slash-tenant relationships. <laughs> Greetings and salutations, podcast listeners. This is a very special episode of Legal Work, a legal informative podcast that aims to help educate young adults who may be misinformed about how the law works. This episode is about drug, alcohol, and trespassing charges and violations and other issues young adults typically face in concordance with Halloween and more specifically the Halloween hike on Hillsborough Street. The Halloween hike is an annual tradition where students bar hop from one end of Hillsborough Street to the other. As is common when large amounts of alcohol are consumed by youngins like us, stuff can get a little crazy. If you've ever been curious about what a DUI really means for your driving record or whether or not you'll be put on a sex offender registry for peeing in public in North Carolina, listen up, because I've got some really good information for you. Happy Halloween. Be safe tonight. Don't take drinks from strangers and don't drink and drive. If you have a pressing legal concern, you should contact a lawyer. But if you're just curious about how a specific aspect of the law works and you'd like us to address it on legal work, please email your topics to podcast at wknc.org. For this week's episode, I sat down with attorney Michael Avery of University Student Legal Services at North Carolina State University. He walked me through the different charges involved and associated with marijuana, alcohol, trespassing, public urination, and public acts of intoxication. For a full listing of Legal Works episodes, go to the iTunes store and search Legal Work. For a limited offering of our podcast episodes, you can go to soundcloud.com slash WKNC881. Enjoy listening. What happens if you're caught drinking underage in Raleigh by police or the ALE? Regardless of whether it's ALE, ABC, Raleigh Police Department, there's a wide variety of different uh, law enforcement agencies here in in Wake County. But um, if you're caught drinking underage, uh, consumption or possession, and possession also includes constructive possession, so within arm's reach of an alcoholic beverage. So even if you're sitting at the same table as someone with a drink? If they don't lay claim to it, yeah, it could happen. So it's a class three misdemeanor for um, people that are 19 or 20. Uh, Anybody who's 18 or under, it is a class one misdemeanor. 
What's the difference between the different misdemeanor classes? The different classes means that there would be a different punishment. So for a class three misdemeanor, assuming the person doesn't have a significant criminal record, it's probably only going to be a fine of no more than $200. If it's a class one misdemeanor, again, assuming the person doesn't have a vast criminal record, the fine can be left in an amount left to the discretion of the court. And it can also include community service. Jail time usually isn't on the table for these things unless, again, the person has a pretty significant criminal record. So class one is worse than class three? Yes, we have four classes in North Carolina, four classes of misdemeanors, Uh, A1 being the worst, like misdemeanor child abuse, class one, class two, class three. So class three is the very bottom of the barrel of criminal offenses in North Mm -hmm. Carolina. Can getting a misdemeanor affect your driving record? Well, certain offenses, certain alcohol offenses will result in the um, one-year loss of your driving privilege if you're convicted. Uh, Those would include the underage purchase of alcohol or the attempt to purchase alcohol, aiding and abetting the underage purchase of alcohol, fraudulent use of identification like a fake ID, and giving alcohol to somebody underage, under the age of 21. Uh, If you're convicted of any one of those offenses, a one-year revocation of your driving privilege. Do you see a lot of cases with students involved in fake IDs? A tremendous amount of cases of students involving fake IDs. And in fact, lately we have seen a spike in them. Aside from the criminal ramifications, we are concerned about identity fraud. Because in order to get these fake IDs, these students are actually giving over their photograph, their signature, their names, and a credit card. Makes you very an easy target for identity fraud. So um, don't do it. Are there legal ramifications for being intoxicated and disorderly in public? Yes. um, It is not against the law to be drunk in public in North Carolina. You can be as drunk as you want, assuming you're of age in public, but you cannot be intoxicated and block traffic, sidewalk, or an entrance to a building. You can't grab, shove, push, fight, or challenge others to fight. You can't curse shout or rudely insult others, even though that's questionable as to whether or not you have a defense with the First Amendment and you can't beg for money. Now, granted, with your First Amendment, they can limit those rights as far as place and time. So if you're out there the middle of the night shouting, they can certainly stop you from doing that. But, you know, if you were cursing, say, in the middle of the day, there's a question as to whether or not they can actually stop you from doing that. And the university has a a corresponding policy as well called Howl for Help, um, which provides that no student seeking medical treatment for an alcohol or other drug overdose will be charged with specific violations of the Code of Student Conduct related to the possession and or consumption of alcoholic beverages or any other drug. And this also applies to students seeking help for the intoxicated student. Can you use alcoholism as a defense for being drunk and disorderly? For intoxicated and disruptive, it is. Alcoholism is a defense to that charge. So if you can prove to the court that you are an alcoholic, you may be able to get away with that charge. I haven't ever seen it used, but that's what the law says. So what's the difference between a misdemeanor and a felony? Well, um... It's going to be the, the punishments that you can be given. Um, typically, most misdemeanor offenses, uh, jail time is not likely a possibility. Uh, with felonies, certainly they are. Once you get into that felony area, there is likely going to be a term of imprisonment that you could be subjected to if convicted. Do you see a lot of students charged for marijuana? I wouldn't say it's in accordance with the hike. We just see it. You know, (laughs) we see a fair amount of marijuana possession charges. Most of them are misdemeanor possession charges. Um, We'll also see the corresponding possession of marijuana paraphernalia. What we need students to be aware of is um, even though it's a misdemeanor offense, and for most cases, if it's less than a half ounce of marijuana, and we're talking about the plant, not uh, derivatives. So if it's Mm -hmm. something like a resin, like hashish, the weight is different. But if it's less than a half ounce of the plant, it's a class three misdemeanor, which means likely only a fine of up to $200. But there's a federal law that's triggered. And if you are convicted of possession of marijuana, you will lose all federal funding to financial aid, both loans and and say Pell Grants, things like that, any federally backed financial aid. So that's something that our students need to be aware of. They count, they count it differently. It all depends on what you have. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, the statutes will specifically tell you what the weights that are allowable are. And the, the statute for anybody who wants to look it up is uh, Section 90-95. And you'll find it all in there, the North Carolina General Statutes. So can you receive multiple charges if you have the plant as well as paraphernalia? Oh, Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. See it quite often. So you can get charged with possessed marijuana paraphernalia, which is a class three misdemeanor. It is a lesser offense of possessed drug paraphernalia, which used to be the only paraphernalia charge we had. So it was 
any kind of drug paraphernalia. We've now changed our laws to where we have this marijuana paraphernalia charge. It's a class three misdemeanor, but you certainly can get charged with both. If you're charged just with marijuana paraphernalia, though, you will not trigger that federal law that causes you to lose your federally backed financial aid. If you get the marijuana possession, that's common. Like clean paraphernalia is not, you know, if if somebody had bought some paraphernalia and it was not used, Mm -hmm. then there's an argument that, you know, it's not marijuana paraphernalia. But once there is some kind of residue, some resin in there, it's marijuana paraphernalia. If a police officer suspects you of being high in public, do they have any right to search you? Well, an officer where there's reasonable suspicion to believe that a crime has been committed an officer does have the right to do what we call a Terry pat-down search. It's just a, a pat-down of the person searching for, um, you know, weapons to make sure the officer is safe. If the officer feels something that feels like contraband, the officer can actually get that contraband. So if they feel a baggie or a mm-hmm. pipe or some kind of paraphernalia, then they can dig further. Do you see a lot of cases where students obstruct police officers while intoxicated? It happens. It's not something that we see um, often, you know, resisting a public officer. We don't see it that often, but it it certainly does happen. And usually it's in combination with drugs or alcohol, most likely alcohol. So if that were to happen, would you go to jail immediately? They can. I mean, they they could take you downtown to the detention center and and book you, fingerprints, mugshot and all that. And then you'd have to make a a bail appearance. Bail could be waived, but um, you'd be going through all of that process, which is not going to be pleasant. And then your face is going to appear on those mugshot websites and things like that. You know, definitely not something to write home to mom about. Yeah, at that level, they they can decide whether or not they want to book somebody. But usually when it's a like a resisting type charge, they're going to do it. So what constitutes trespassing? Well, trespassing is um, is being in a place without authorization. Um, we've got two levels of trespassing. There's first degree and second degree. First degree is typically where you enter into a building of another or you enter into an area that's so clearly marked that you're not supposed to be there, like a place that's fenced off. Typically where we see this is like construction sites. Then we have secondary trespassing, which is probably the one that we see more often. And that's going to be when you've been told not to enter a place or where there's signs that say you're not allowed to enter here but um and you do it anyways but th- that's probably the one that we see most commonly both of these are misdemeanor offenses um a second degree is a class three misdemeanor a first degree is a class two misdemeanor are there any areas you frequently see students get in trouble for trespassing in construction sites <laughs> construction sites seem to be popular and parks parks after hours what are the consequences for stealing roadway or construction signs well we would still classify it as uh, as larceny So um, if the larceny is under $1,000, then it's a misdemeanor offense. If it's more than $1,000, then it is an actual felony. Don't steal the sign. Don't steal signs. Don't steal the signs. What are the consequences for defacing public property? It is a class one misdemeanor. Basically, our law provides that it's unlawful to write, scribble, mark, paint, deface real property, a public building, tombstones or monuments uh, and statues in, in public places. It's a minimum $500 fine and 24 hours of community service. If you've got two or more prior convictions, it's elevated to a class H felony. So felonies are categorized by letters then? Like A is murder. So this is kind of the bottom of of our felony area. What are some violations to the Raleigh City Code that you frequently see students involved in? Well, we see the open container of alcohol on a city street sidewalk. Uh, We want students to be aware of, um, and usually this is done with good intentions and not realizing that they're Mm going to be in trouble, but... Where we see a problem is people being on like the party bus and they want to throw away an empty container. Mm -hmm. And as soon as they step foot off that bus and onto the sidewalk with that open container, that's when they get hit. You know, sometimes we'll also see it where people will be at a nightclub or a bar and there's an outdoor patio Mm -hmm. and, you know, the crowd gets a little bit bigger and gets pushed out onto the sidewalk. And as soon as you step foot onto that sidewalk, that's when you can get hit with this. Now, offenses, violations of the Raleigh City Code or any other ordinance in North Carolina is going to be classified as a class three misdemeanor unless the ordinance says otherwise. But for these offenses, the the open container, it is a class three misdemeanor, a fine of no more than $50. Yes, you are allowed to drink on the party bus, uh, but you can't take the container off the bus unless somehow you magically transport yourself from the party bus to a private place. You step foot on that sidewalk, that street or anything owned, occupied or regulated by the the city, you're going to be in trouble. 
What if you're in a car with an open container? Well, that that's a different law. There's there's a North Carolina law that actually specifically states that um, you can't have an open container within the passenger area of the vehicle. It's a class two misdemeanor. If you've had more than one conviction, you will actually lose your license as a result of this as well. Do you see students get in trouble for things like urinating in public or sleeping in a park? Well, I don't see them do it, but <laughs> I do see their tickets. And actually, yeah, this is one that we expect to see more of as a result of the Halloween hike. Some people just aren't uh, familiar with this. This is a Raleigh city code. So outside of Raleigh, this may not be illegal. Mm-hmm. All right. But within the city of Raleigh, it is unlawful to... Um, Urinate in public. Again, another class three misdemeanor, a $50 fine. And there are certain parks uh, that you can't sleep in, rest in, trespass. Uh, that would include around here, at least Nash Square, Moore Square, the Transit uh, Transfer Center and the Fayetteville Street Mall. So don't, yeah, don't, don't pass out there. Don't do that. Get home. If Call you, an Uber. If you urinate in public and are caught, is it possible that you'll be added to a sex offender registry in North Carolina? No, no, this is not a registerable offense. Uh, people think that it is. It's, it's not. It's, it is not. Could you go over the differences between um, criminal and civil fines for the nuisance party violation? Certainly, certainly. So a nuisance party is a party or social gathering that results in conditions that annoy, injure, or endanger the safety, health, comfort, or repose of the neighboring residents. Basically, if the police can hear you from the sidewalk inside your house after 11 o'clock, they're going to classify that as a nuisance party. The officer has the discretion whether or not to charge it as a civil offense or a criminal offense. It's just completely within the officer's discretion. So so be, be cooperative and you're likely to get a civil version. If you're not cooperative, that increases the chance that you would get a, a criminal charge. If it's a civil violation, um, it's just a $100 fine for the first offense. If there's been more than one offense in the last 12 months, it's a $300 fine. If you're charged criminally, it's punishable by imprisonment not to exceed 30 days and or by a fine not to exceed $500. Also realize that regardless of whether it's civil or criminal, there is a law in North Carolina that says that a landlord can't evict if there is criminal activity that takes place on the premises. Since a party could be charged civilly or criminally, the landlord could use that as a justification to evict. For more legal information about housing issues, please go to wknc.podcasts.tumblr.com and look for Episode 5 of Legal Work, Landlord and Tenant Rights. And that happens, call Student Legal Services. So are Good Samaritan laws nationally recognized? No, this is a state law in North Carolina. I can't speak for other states, but it mm-hmm. seems to be kind of the way that, that just culturally we are progressing. We don't want to be in a situation where somebody is afraid to call for help because another person is, is overdosing on drugs or alcohol. Mm-hmm. What you'd have in the past is people would just leave them there or maybe put them in a cab and just send them away, but they wouldn't call mm-hmm. emergency services. So this is a way to encourage people to call emergency services when someone is overdosing from drugs or alcohol and um, the caller and the person who is overdosing will be protected from uh, criminal charges if they satisfy what they need to satisfy in order to get this. Basically, um, so there's no prosecution for possession or consumption of alcohol. If the person sought medical assistance for an individual experience and experiencing an alcohol-related overdose by contacting emergency services, the person acted in good faith when seeking medical assistance upon a reasonable belief that he or she was the first to call for assistance, the person provided his or her own name. And this is probably the one where we, you know, have a problem because sometimes they want to remain anonymous. You have to give your name. The person did not seek the medical assistance during the course of the execution of an arrest warrant, search warrant, or other lawful search. So if the cops show up and then you say, hey, my friend here is overdosing, it's too late. We have the one for drugs as well. So there's no prosecution for misdemeanor possession of a controlled substance, felony possession of less than one gram of cocaine, felony possession of less than one gram of heroin, or possessed drug paraphernalia if, again, the person sought medical assistance for an individual experiencing a drug-related overdose by calling emergency services. The person acted in good faith when seeking medical assistance upon a reasonable belief that they were the first to call. The person provided his or her own name to the emergency services. The person did not seek medical assistance during the course of the execution of an arrest warrant, search warrant, or other lawful search. And the evidence for prosecution was obtained as a result of the person seeking medical assistance for the drug-related overdose. If anybody needs to know further about this, uh, the statutes for alcohol, it's 18B-302.2. And for drugs, it's section 90-96.2. Does the immunity still count if you used a fake ID? No. Now, I will say that with the Hell for Help, it says any drugs. 
All right. So the Office of Student Conduct or the university will not pursue a violation of the Code of Student Conduct if you satisfy the Howl for Help requirements. Mm-hmm. The statutes in North Carolina are limited to, again, that misdemeanor possession of a controlled substance, felony possession of less than one gram of cocaine, felony possession of less than one gram of heroin or possessed drug paraphernalia. So it's mm-hmm. it's more narrow on the state level. But the university, it says specifically that, yeah, no student seeking medical treatment for an alcohol or other drug overdose will be charged with a specific violation of the Code of Student Conduct related to the possession and or consumption of alcoholic beverages or any other drug. What's another issue you frequently see students involved in as far as drinking and drugs? Driving under the influence of drugs or alcohol. So DWI, DUI, however you want to refer to it. It's a misdemeanor as well. It is not classified, as we discussed earlier, that A, A1, 1, 2, and 3. DWI has its own sentence structure, level 1 through 5, 5 being the least worst. But what I want people to be aware of is if you are under the age of 21 and you have any alcohol in your system, you can be charged with what we call driving after consuming alcohol. If you are under the age of 21 and you have a blood alcohol content of 0.08 or higher, so 8% or higher, you can also be charged with DWI. So you can be charged with both. If you are convicted of either one of those offenses, you will lose your driving privilege. Uh, You will have a criminal record. Depending on the offense, you might be doing some jail time. And once you are eligible to drive, your insurance rates will be increased by about 400%. So don't do it. Call a cab or an Uber. Walk if it's safe. If it's safe. Otherwise, yeah, get home without driving. Well, there's there's damage to real property and damage to personal property. Real property is land, houses, things like that. Uh, Personal property is just things that you own. For personal property, if the damage is less than $200, it's a class two misdemeanor. If it's more than $200, it's a class one misdemeanor. It's also a violation of the code of student conduct to engage in any act that intentionally or recklessly damages, destroys, or defaces property of the university or another. If you get charged with one of these offenses and you're convicted, you can also be required to pay restitution for the damage that you caused. So they will, they'll drop all charges against the student code. Does that include the no tolerance policy for drugs in student housing? Well, that's no, that doesn't. That doesn't. In fact, I've seen that problem lately. Student housing has the discretion to decide what they're going to do with these kind of situations. So um, what we have seen is as of late, there has been a um, a leniency applied. Mm -hmm. Uh, It used to be that if there was marijuana on the premises in student housing, that it was going to result in eviction. Now they're having a, a one one opportunity. So if you're if you're found with marijuana in the dorms uh, and it's your first time, then, you know, you may not get evicted. They still maintain that discretion, though. So if you had like an enormous amount yeah. of marijuana, you could probably assume that you're going to be evicted anyways. Oh, it's just okay. that if somebody in student housing has marijuana on the premises, now it is not a guarantee that you'll be evicted. Oh, but if it's your first offense, there is a likelihood that you will not be evicted. This does not play into uh, sorority or fraternities. They have discretion to decide how they're going to act with that. So, you know, if it's a dorm, it's a small amount of marijuana, first time, they're probably not going to evict you. If it's a fraternity, that's that's completely up to sorority and fraternity life. One of the things that we hear quite often in our office is people will say when they when they've been charged with a with a marijuana offense, a paraphernalia offense, um, they'll say, well, it's legal in other states. You're not in those states. Yeah. You're in North Carolina. It is illegal here, regardless of how much you have. Even a speck is technically illegal. Anywhere between half an ounce and, or less is still a class three misdemeanor. All right. So that that defense is not going to hold up in court. <laughs> Don't tell the judge it's legal in Colorado. Yeah, it's not going to make a difference. Be safe. Be smart. Know your surroundings. Don't accept drinks from strangers. Don't get belligerent, you know. Try try to maintain. If you're under the age of 21, just don't drink. Anybody who has any problems with these or any questions with these kind of things, please come to Student Legal Services. We're here for you. If you are a currently enrolled student in NC State, you are eligible for our services, assuming you pay the student fee, which most students do. So, again, you have a problem with this. It's all confidential. Just come and see us. Schedule an appointment. We'll be happy to talk to you about it. Welcome back to Eye on the Triangle. The time is 426, and I am Marissa Jordan. And I'm Nick Weaver. Uh, We'd like to make a quick correction. That was actually Legal Work Episode 7 and not Episode 5. That was about uh, drug use and uh, possession, uh, as opposed to the landlord-tenant episode. So, uh, yeah, uh, back to your regularly scheduled program.
Hey, KNC listeners. This is Brooke. Thanks for joining us here on Arts Afternoons. Today, I have Zachary Lunn here getting his MFA in fiction and creative writing. Zachary, thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yes, of course. So, uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got into writing? Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. I, you know, as a, as a kid, I was always interested in stories and would write little, you know, uh, little short stories, you know, science fiction and fantasy mostly. And I was always a big reader, uh, but kind of got away from writing for a long time. And a few years ago, um, on a whim, I just decided to enter a contest that was a paid contest and ended up winning and thought, hey, this is pretty great that I can, you know, make some money doing this. Um, and, and then kind of put it away. And uh, the next year I entered that same contest and won again. And that's kind of when I realized I had, you know, some degree of talent with it and also that I really enjoyed doing it. Um, and so since then I've kind of, you know, never looked back and been uh, you know, writing a lot. So and that's what I'm, what I'm, what I'm doing. Awesome. Definitely very inspiring story. It's nice to know that some people can make money doing writing and freelance jobs and stuff. <laughs> very little. Yeah, yeah, so far. So far. <laughs> All right. Big things ahead, I'm sure. All right. So did you want to tell us uh, anything little about the piece you're reading today? Sure. Uh, this story is called Guts, and it is about a working class southerner um, who has uh, you know, a complex marital situation and is um, kind of struggling with that and uh, um, he sees this building on the side of the road that kind of makes him think about his life <laughs> and 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 so that we it kind of goes from there and uh, yeah all right very interesting we'll take it away whenever you're ready great Ben pulled off the highway and parked in front of the aged double wide its off-white siding was dirty and smattered with sickly browns and greens, vines and mud, filth. He turned his head and looked at the hand-painted sign on the side of the highway, complete with brown, blocky lettering, colon therapy. Depictions of what looked like a hairdryer and a waffle maker filled in the empty space, and they did not seem to match up at all with the idea of an alternative medicine shack on the side of a rural North Carolina highway. Ben remembered the first time he had noticed the place. He had told his wife about it as soon as he got home from work at the chicken factory. But Karen hadn't believed him. She told him it was a misspelling or a mistake, and that there's no way the health department would allow a place like that to operate. Ben knew he hadn't been fooled and that the health department doesn't have any real power. But he wasn't in particular need of a colon cleanse or whatever else goes on there, so he never looked into it. But he drove by the place every day, and he thought about it all the time, especially after nights that he was kept awake having sex or arguing with Karen. He got out of the car and squinted through the setting sun at the trailer, then walked up the wooden steps and pulled the screen door open. Ben tapped on the door three times. He wasn't timid about it. He had waited long enough to know what this place was and what it did to people, but he hoped his knock didn't give away his sense of urgency. He waited another minute before knocking again. No one was home, or they were too busy inside. He thought about walking around to the back of the trailer and trying to get a peek through a window, but something didn't feel right about that. Whoever they were, he was positive they were doing noble, necessary work, so he resolved to come back tomorrow. Besides, Karen was staying overnight in Charlotte for a work thing. The house was empty and still, and he had all night to think about what he would ask these people when they let him inside. He got home and went straight to the fridge for a beer. He popped the top with the bottle opener from the silverware drawer and walked into the bedroom. The apartment was small, but he and Karen didn't have much stuff. She liked limiting any attachment to material objects. So they had simple furniture and food and toilet paper. Essentials. Ben sat on the edge of their bed and sipped the beer. He held the bottle on his knee and looked at the label. It featured a photograph of an old push broom. It unnerved him. Work had been especially brutal today and Ben was glad it was Friday. Left winger, that's what they called him. He stood in line and pulled the left wing off every chicken that came down the belt. 
Supervisors wanted 80 chickens processed a minute, and Ben rarely missed his quota, but he hated it. It was messy and gave him too much time to think. And often those thoughts centered around his eight years of marriage and then immediately to the clinic that he passed every day. He took a look around the bedroom. Karen had even gotten rid of their television set two years ago. He finished his drink quickly. Ben decided to go out for a few minutes before settling in for the night. He went to the kitchen and tossed his empty bottle in the trash. The house phone started to ring, but he ignored it. He knew it was Karen. She would want to talk about work, but he would only be thinking about the therapy shack, how empty it was. Grabbing a fresh can of beer, Ben walked out the front door. The air was chilly as he stepped out of the apartment and down the stairs to the parking lot. He unlocked his car and climbed in, then cracked open his beer can and took a deep drink. He put the can in his cup holder and started the engine. The bar was close, only three minutes away, right around the corner. He pulled out of his spot and slowly made his way over the speed bumps that marked the lot, turned out of the apartment complex and down the street toward the bar. The cell phone in his pocket vibrated and he knew it was Karen. He fished it out and looked at Karen's picture on the LCD screen. Ben hit the green button, lifting the phone to his ear. Hi, he said. Hey, baby. Karen's voice had only the slightest hint of Southern in it. She grew up in the city. She was removed from those deep accents that penetrated the more rural areas of North Carolina. I called the house, she said. I'm not home yet. Work was good, he said. He took another drink from his beer and kept the wheel steady with his knees for a second. He wasn't all that interested in her answer. Oh, fantastic. They loved the presentation, and Chad said he was real happy with it, too. I wish I could get home tonight, but there's a brunch in the morning I need to get to. Chad wants me talking to folks and pushing the program, but I'll be home in the evening. Should we go out for dinner? Ben steered his car in front of the bar and parked. He tipped back, he tipped back the beer and finished the can. His mind was on the trailer off the highway. What? He said. Dinner, she said. I haven't eaten yet. I'm just pulling into the house. No, when I get home, she said. Let's go out. We'll make a night of it. Right, tomorrow. You'll be home. Ben looked out the windshield at the flashing open sign above the bar's front door. It was pink and ugly and distracting. Unwelcoming. The exact opposite of its intended purpose. Is Chad there now? There was a quick silence. Ben knew she and Chad were sleeping together. He knew Karen was pretending that he didn't know. They both knew the other knew. Yes, he's right here, she said. Then, are you at the bar? I've got to go, Ben said. Very nice, very nice. Thank you for sharing that with us, Zachary. Thanks again for having me. Yeah, of course. So thank you guys for listening here at WKNC. This has been Arts Afternoons with Brooke, and I hope you guys have a great day. You're listening to 88.1 WKNC, and this is Taste of the Triangle. I'm your host, Will Mayo, and for those of you who have not heard my segment before, Taste of the Triangle seeks to inform you of the rich food culture in Raleigh and the surrounding area. For Diversity Week, I chose to cover David's Dumpling and Noodle Bar. Though it has a simple name, David's offers a variety of Eastern dishes that are more authentic than the alternatives that come in a takeout box. I was able to interview the owner head chef of David's Dumpling and Noodle Bar, as well as his events manager and a server. The three had a lot to say about the restaurant, but one thing they certainly agreed upon was the incredible quality of their dumplings. It's our dumpling, a whole lot different than, than the dumpling in the market. It's all handmade, you know, hand roll. We make our own dough from square and wrap it individually, single piece. We recently were named top dumplings in Wake County with the annual Indie Food Awards, Reader's Choice. If you think you've had a good dumpling, just wait and try ours. They're the best. The first voice you heard was David Mao. He's the owner and head chef of David's Dumpling and Noodle Bar. David first came to the United States when he befriended a GI during the Vietnam War. Events manager Kim Kyle recaps the story. Hal wanted to learn how to make dumplings, and David wanted to learn mathematics and to learn to speak the English language. 
Hal sponsored David to move to America, and they have been next-door neighbors now for 40-some years. So they uh, became friends over dumplings in David's family's restaurant in Vietnam. Hal is not David's only neighbor. David makes it a point to be a neighbor to the community that he has become a part of. To reflect that in the business sense, Ms. Kyle says they do a lot of private events. We're hosting wedding rehearsal dinners, receptions, prom events. David just wants to remain an active part of his community that he has lived in in the Cameron Village area for 40 years. When David first became a part of this community in the 1970s, he realized Raleigh did not have a niche for Asian food. So he created the Mandarin House, a kind of typical Chinese restaurant. In the 70s, when I have the Mandarin house, and I studied with typical like American Chinese food, or like chow mein, chop suey, egg foo young. This was successful for him for quite a while, but towards the turn of the century, there was a shift in American palates to crave something a little more authentic. From then on, try to, you know, introduce, you know, the, the more Chinese food in America is not American Chinese. The Chinese food, you know, you, we can serve without rice <laughs> or soy, you know. <laughs> and uh, Chinese food, we will not use a lot of butter or, or cheese. I just try to uh, introduce the better Asian food to the American public. While maintaining traditional values, David tries to create a lot of unique dishes. One such dish is his take on the traditional lion head. A uh, lion head that we serve over here is, is my own creation, you know, like a meatball, but uh, infused with scallop inside uh, the meatball. And then uh, we serve with a Chinese uh, baby broccoli, you know, and it tastes real good. And a lot of people try and they do like it. I have not personally tried the lion head, but the expansive menu at David's Dumpling and Noodle Bar has a lot of interesting options. The staff does a really good job of making these options available to the common person. Server Eston Dickinson explains the methodology behind this. I try to explain the menu so that it's custom to what the customer is looking for, but also open them up a little bit to something they may not have tried before. The staff has certainly steered me towards many tasty choices. A couple of my favorites are the Malaysian curry noodle soup and the green papaya salad. So the next time you decide to order takeout, maybe reconsider and pop by David's Dumpling and Noodle Bar just east of Pullen Road on Hillsborough Street. A vast menu, a warm and welcoming staff, and authentic choices make David's Dumpling and Noodle Bar another tasty slice of the Triangle's culinary pie. This has been Taste of the Triangle. Thanks for tuning in. Hello and welcome. I'm Nick Weaver of Eye on the Triangle, and you are listening to the Modest Mouth Review. How low can you go? Pretty low? Kind of low? How about Super Low, the album of today's review by the band Warehouse? Maybe Rob Low? I'm not great at limbo, but it's been a while since I tried, so maybe I got better by not trying. Who knows? Anyways, today's album is Super Low by Warehouse, as previously stated, and it's an indie garage rock work of about 33 minutes in length. Now, this album came out pretty recently on September 30th and will be soon working its way into the regular WKNC rotation, which means it's obviously a pretty decent album. Question is, what do I think about it? Well, we'll get to that in a minute. First things first, who are Warehouse? Hailing from Atlanta, Georgia, Warehouse appears to be a five-piece garage rock band. I say appears to be because like almost every other indie rock band, they have very little information about the band itself available. Go figure. At any rate, the lineup consists of Ben Jackson, Alex Bailey, Josh Hughes, Doug Bleichner, 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 and Elaine Edenfield 
on guitar, other guitar, bass, drums, and vocals, respectively. Following their debut in 2014 with the album Tesseract, Super Low is the group's sophomore album, named after a bizarre convenience store slash grocery mart across the street from their apartments. That's about all there is to it. God, it's like indie bands are always comprised of the only people on earth that don't like talking about themselves. It's absurd. At any rate, this album is pretty unique in its sound. I haven't heard a whole lot that sounds like it in recent years, despite the fact that it belongs to a pretty broad subgenre. The most immediate feature of the album is lead singer Edenfield's voice. Like a cross between classic alto female vocalists such as Beth Gibbons of Portishead and modern grunge screamers like Tina Halliday of Sheermag, Edenfield sports a unique set of pipes that go a long way in helping to define the band's sound. She utilizes a heavy, gravelly, and scratchy sound to carry her upper and mid-range while pulling from the diaphragm to create the smooth boom of her lower range. While this style is growing slightly more popular as the garage scene continues to develop, few are able to pull it off with both confidence and competence. Edenfield admirably does both. Outside of vocals, the next thing that stands out about this band is that their sound is rough but not angry. Most bands in the garage rock subgenre are very aggressive, pushing their message with the furious sincerity of a mean drunk. In the case of bands like Fiddler, that's barely even a metaphor, as half of their songs revolve around intoxication and societal rebellion. In a subgenre where this attitude is the norm, Super Low boasts a sound that is deliberate but not aggressive. It's kind of laid back but not docile in any way. Like the old man on your block that smokes a little too much but has a good heart. Yeah, he spits when he talks and his voice is deep and damaged, but he's got a good set of morals and he'll give you good life advice if you ask. I mean, I didn't actually grow up with one of those guys on my street, but I've seen the stereotype in movies and I feel like it gets the picture across. The instrumentation on the album is nothing to scoff at either. Warehouse takes a low distortion approach here, which is also pretty unique for a garage rock band, making use of relatively clean guitars with a touch of tremolo, medium decay, and a pinch of phaser. The result is pretty similar to the kind of instrumentation used in chill wave or surf rock, but with the backing power of some light distortion on the rhythm guitar in the background, and also far less echo than is typical of those genres. The riffs themselves are pretty good, though they're far less attention-grabbing than the lead vocals, which is a bit of a shame, really, because the guitar on this album can be very enjoyable, and extends the song very well. I won't say it stands out too much, but it's definitely above average. Drums and bass on this album are about average. It's hard to make an impact with those instruments, but I will say the performances from both instrumentalists in those categories are of high enough quality that you couldn't say they're bad in any way, which is an important standard to meet if you're doing your job correctly. The drumming in particular has a noticeable layer of rhythmic complexity that I can appreciate. I don't know if the songwriter should be thanked for that, but I can say that the songs wouldn't have nearly as much backbone without that little bit of finesse. Now, the album isn't perfect, obviously. I think one of the main things to call into question is the lyrical content, which, while retaining a good amount of depth, can occasionally come off as clunky and obtuse when sung. It's the difference between poetry and prose, you know? It has to sound a certain way when you say it. You can't just focus on the message you're trying to get across. Is it jarring? No. It is noticeable, however, and may throw some listeners for a loop. I wanted to use the word sonically obtuse to describe this phenomena, but I also don't want to sound like one of those reviewers from Pitchfork that are so full of themselves that they think they need to refer to the thesaurus for just a couple of sentences in a garage rock review. So yeah, lyrics sound a little funny sometimes. This isn't too bad on its own, but with the addition of the odd structure of the verses and the strong focus on the vocal component of the album, it can sort of all come together to bring the album down a little. Despite this, Super Low is an incredibly strong album that does things differently in a good way. The uniqueness of the album outweighs its faults by a ton, making it a must-listen for garage rock fans, at least in my book. My final rating on a scale of negative 2 to 7 is positive 5. Above average, very enjoyable, and just plain cool. The album is, once again, Super Low by Warehouse. All of those words are spelled normally, just in case you're wondering. That's all for today. I've been Nick, though I'm also known as Lens, Flesk, Floatstar, Meerkat, or just that dude who can't dress himself properly in public. I'm less fond of that last one. As always, you can send in a review request by emailing publicaffairs at wknc.org or by sending a tweet to at wknc underscore EOT. Thanks again for listening in, and I'll speak to you all again next time.
Hello, this is Jake Winters for Eye on the Triangle. This is Snova Rated, and this week I will be taking a look at the film The Past. The Past is a film that sneaks up on you. It starts out with a seemingly harmless plot and works its way up to some of the most dramatic final moments that I have witnessed on film. It is a slow build-up, though, which made me appreciate the ending even more. The style of the film is what did it all for me. The Past never hesitated to pause on a frame and captivate the audience within the moment. This has some of the best silent scenes and interactions between characters that I have seen in a while. This goes without saying for how I have already described the film, but the acting was superb for the most part. The only performances that I noticed being a little bit off were the younger actors. And you can never be too hard on children acting in films because it's obvious that they will have little experience in acting, but I have to say it detracted a little bit from films at points. It really just takes a good director to have children act well on screen. It may have just been the positioning of the actors and actresses that caused some of the moments of awkward acting, but they stood out to me from the rest of the performances. In most dramas, actors and actresses are playing along the edge of being melodramatic and unconvincing and underwhelming. Compare it to a tightrope walker. If they lean in either direction, they will fall short and the scene they are acting in will not live up to its full potential. I was really impressed by one scene where the director decided to linger on the frame of awkward tenseness and how well the amount of time the silence was endured for. It was not really just that it was a silent scene and that there was not much going on, but it was the fact that it continued to send different messages about the interactions of the two silent characters. This shot likely took many takes and a hard deliberation as to which of the takes to use in the final cut of the movie. The past takes place in Paris, France, and shows a beautiful side of the city that many may not know of. The Iranian subculture portrayed in the film almost certainly exists in the real world as the places they filmed exist and Paris is a large modern city. Of course, this means it has many immigrants from all around the world, so it would certainly not be surprising that there would be a number of Iranian immigrants. This mix of culture is part of what makes movies so unique. It provides a unique perspective of an immigrant who was unhappy with his immigration and therefore chose to abandon the life that he had come to know for the one that he had left behind. This reversal of the immigration story is something I have never really seen, discussed, or considered in many American movies. In The Godfather, a character returns to Italy for a time, but is never as a permanent thing, and there are many other similar movies where this is the case as well. So, needless to say, this is a unique perspective, and it ends up playing out in a very unique way, especially since it is only one part of what could almost be considered a two-part movie. One part can be considered the struggle between the returning husband and the wife, and the other between the wife and her new husband. Both stories have a lot of overlap, but there are some areas that really don't cross over as well. The way in which the film ends was probably a particularly difficult choice to make for their director, but the one that they eventually came upon is perfect amount of bittersweetness needed to end a film containing the amount of drama that the past does. I never like to say too much about the ending of movies, but I will assure you that if you are somewhat bored at any point in the movie, which is likely to happen in a 2 hour and 10 minute movie, that the end is well worth the wait. The movie stands out from the crowd of dramas that flood the markets these days in many ways. The story has a unique perspective, the characters all feel real and somewhat unpredictable, there are interwoven plots, and there are plenty more things that I could point out about the film that stand out. But just standing out from the crowd does not make a movie good. A movie that is exceptionally bad stands out almost as well as a movie that is exceptionally good. This movie, as you may have guessed by now, is exceptionally good. I'm going to give this film a 4 out of 5. There are parts of the film that could have been removed, and would they have detracted some amount of drama? Yes, this film is a good one, so all of its scenes contribute somewhat to the final product, but I do not think that all of the scenes were necessary. The acting in the film was superb, with only minor flaws here and there, and overall, the film was a captivating and enjoyable movie. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of I Am The Triangle and Snowverated. I am Jake Winters, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your evening. You're listening to I Am The Triangle on WKNC-FM Raleigh. The time is 4.51, and I'm Marissa Jordan. And I'm Nick Weaver. It's time for What's In The News. I'm going to read off a couple of headlines from today's technician. So, as you all know, Trump is our new president, and Roy Cooper got the uh, election for, you know, NC governor. Uh, breaking down uh, election night's results, Tuesday night turned out to be a doubleheader of an election night. Shockers for North Carolina voters. That is the top headline right now in the news section of The Technician. NCGOP announced nomination of Trump at watch party. 
Tuesday night was strong for North Carolina Republicans who filled the ballroom of the Hilton Garden Inn near Crabtree Valley Mall. North Carolina went red for Donald Trump and Mike Pence, the winners of the 2016 presidential ticket. NC Democratic Party announced winning of Cooper Stein at Watch Party. The North Carolina Democratic held an election watch night party at Raleigh City Center. The party hosted many public figures, including Roy Cooper, governor-elect, and North Carolina Democratic candidates. More on that later. Uh, you can check the technician for all of the election news uh, in features right now. Let's see. 2016 election party playlist. Uh, waiting for election results can be boring. While you're waiting to see who's going to lead the free world, rock out to some election charge tunes. That was a playlist for you to watch, uh, listen to while watching the election results. But now that they're out, I guess you can just jam out to uh, a bunch of songs about fearing for the future. REM's in there, and my choice, Pinch Me by Bare Naked Ladies, is uh, also in there. So give that a try. There's also the paper edition of what would have been this week's review from me of Pile by Giant Dog and uh, Students' Elephant Collar Project to Track Elephant Routes, which came out on November 7th. Uh, two years after a team of students first imagined an innovative elephant collar, the prototype's implementation is still in the works. More on that, as I said, in the paper. So, uh, yeah, give that a check if you want to hear about more technician-related news. Uh, for community calendar, we have one event today. Uh, Durham's singer-songwriter Katie Basden presents From Durham with Love, a benefit concert for families devastated by flooding following Hurricane Matthew. It's slated for Friday, November 11th from 6 to 10 p.m., and the evening promises a silent auction, local food and brews, and music from Basden along with other local artists, Rissy Palmer and Sandra DeBose, and more. So yeah, that, that sounds like a great event because, as you know, Hurricane Matthew really did devastate the coast of North Carolina. Quite a lot of damage, uh, monetarily speaking. Luckily, the death toll didn't get too high, but uh, there's still a lot of rebuilding to be done. So that is a very important event for anyone interested. Up next, this day in history, 1938, Nazis launch Kristallnacht, Night of Broken Glass, which was an attack on German storefronts. Uh, 1989, East Germany opens up the Berlin Wall, uh, tearing down of it. 2004, Stieg Larsson, author of Millennium Trilogy, which I believe had Girl with a Dragon Tattoo in it. I'm not really sure. I didn't read those. Uh, died at 50. Uh, so we didn't get any more books out of him, but I believe they did publish something posthumously from him. Don't know. Might've been another entry into that series. Either way, uh, been an interesting day in history and I'm sure it will be interesting in the future when we look back on it. As for the election, if you somehow have not heard the news, Donald Trump is our new president. Hillary Clinton had a 4% point lead before the polls opened, but soon Trump gained and surpassed the democratic nominee. Several states, including Arizona, Colorado, Florida, Georgia, Iowa, Michigan, Nevada, New Hampshire, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Virginia, and Wisconsin, proved to be battlegrounds between the two candidates. Trump won many traditionally Democratic states like Pennsylvania, which ultimately led to his victory. This surprised many people, as Hillary was predicted to win many swing states. Hillary Clinton spoke before a crowd of weeping supporters and shocked campaign staffers formally conceding to Trump. Despite the outcome, Clinton urged Americans to approach the Trump administration with an open mind and a chance to lead. She offered to work with Trump on behalf of the country, but also admitted the sting of loss will be painful for quite some time. That about does it for this week's show. Thanks for joining us on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon. And uh, if you are dreading the election results, well, uh, we would just like to congratulate the candidate that got chosen, even if it is against our personal beliefs. Uh, we are eagerly anticipating the next four years just to see what will happen. Uh, as always, if you heard anything you liked, you hated, or anything that made you think, let us know at publicaffairs at wknc.org. And be sure to check out our blog at wknc-eot.tumblr.com. You can catch another episode of Eye on the Triangle next week right here on WKNC. Our intro and outro music is Connie by L1011. I'd like to thank our contributors, Jake Winters, Brooke Yanian, Will Mayo, and Colleen Kinnan-Ferguson. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Marissa Jordan. And I'm Nick Weaver, wishing you all a great Wednesday afternoon.